0: For the past few weeks since Easter, we have been talking about our purpose, our mission, and our values here at First Pres, And we've been talking about this week after week and saying the same thing in a sense over and over because it is vital that we are all on the same page as we pursue God's vision for us as a church, being a people who love God, who love others, and live as disciple-making disciples of Jesus. Now, if we're going to be disciple-making disciples... One thing we need is a really clear definition of what a disciple is. And for the past couple weeks, I've, I've actually secretly been giving you the definitions. And there are any number of ways that we can define terms, especially a term like disciples. But this, it seems to us to be the most clear and helpful way to describe what we mean when we talk about the word disciple. And I've cleared this with Sam Sterrett; He's on board. So we're all good. A disciple is someone who's been united with Christ, who is being transformed to be like Christ so that they can partner with Christ in the work of the kingdom of God until Christ returns or carries us home. So over the weeks, we'll continue to remind one another of that definition. So we know our purpose, we know our mission, our values. We have a working definition of what a disciple is. But there's one more term that we need to define to help bring clarity to what we are trying to do here. Last week, we introduced our final value, the value of being people who were gospel fluent. And we saw that at the very least, gospel fluency is about telling people what you know to be true about Jesus. Where and how did Jesus meet you in your brokenness? How is your life being transformed? Basically, who were you and on the other side of meeting Jesus, who are you now? And that's simply where it starts. But that's not where it ends. Because there are core truths about Jesus that all disciples need to know. And we need to be able to confess it with our mouths and live it with our lives. So if we're going to be truly gospel fluent, we do need to be able to define this simple but really familiar word. We need to know the definition of the word gospel. Gospel. So for the next four weeks, we're going to clearly define the gospel and talk about what it means to not only tell others the good news of Jesus, but see what it looks like when we put that news on display by the way that we live together as his church, by the way we live together in community. So I want to read two verses from Matthew's gospel. These are comforting and really hopeful words that come to us from Jesus. And then I want to talk about how this simple passage helps us to frame and define the gospel for us today. So this is the verse from Matthew 11. It says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the word of our Lord Jesus Christ thanks be to God. And I would argue that these words do not stand by themselves. They are rooted in the gospel story from the very beginning. Now, I imagine that if we ask most people in most churches, what's the definition of the gospel, we might hear something like this, that Jesus died for my sins and rose again so that I can have eternal life. And that is, of course, absolutely true. It's just that's not where the gospel begins. And I would argue that that's not the whole gospel. So to fully define the gospel, we need to start at the start. And what we know is that Genesis 1 through 3, those three chapters, they answer the kind of questions that every human who has ever lived can and has asked. It wasn't written just for us, Trying to answer our modern questions about science and history, it was written to answer more fundamental questions about human life. Like, where are we? Who's in charge? Who and what are we? Why are we here? What's the problem? And is there a solution? So, I would like to retell the story of Genesis 1 through 3, and of course, Invite you to go home and read this for yourself. And if you'd like, join us on Wednesday nights. We discuss all of this in more detail. That can help you if you're curious or confused at how we've come to some of the conclusions that I'm about to make. And before we're done retelling the story, we'll tie it all back into the words of Jesus that we read just a few minutes ago. And just as a reminder of those words, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for i am gentle and humble in heart and you will find what rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light so the story begins with this uncreated being called god and we learn right away that this god is powerful enough to bring all things into existence simply by speaking I mean, he speaks in atoms and cells, light and dark. The laws of nature themselves are formed and they obey. And we learn that as powerful as this uncreated God is, he cares. He cares deeply about what he's made. He cares so much that he provides order and structure, systems, so that this life can flourish when he makes everything he calls it good and even though everything is good in creation the truth is if it was left on its own it would grow out of control it has the potential to become wild and waste if there's no one there to watch over it and care for it so God makes this choice to give creation a gift a creature that will continue to do what God has done by ruling over and subduing creation by keeping it in good order And we learn that no animal can do this. No animal can serve this purpose. So God creates a creature in his own image and then places that creature in the midst of creation to not only care for it, but over time to reveal to the rest of creation the nature and the character of the creator. And when God creates this creature, he then says everything is very good. And the Creator and His creation, they enjoy life together just as God intended. As we continue on into the next chapter, we learn that these image bearers, they were made for a life that is full and vibrant. And it's a life that's defined by four relationships. They have a relationship with creation, relationship with one another, relationship with themselves, and then finally their relationship with their creator and we learn that God provides order and structure for these relationships for these relationships to work the creator gives these image bearers three things he gives them work to do he gives them permission to enjoy everything that's good for them and he gives them a warning to keep away from anything that would cause them harm And we see this in one simple command that's given to humanity in Genesis 2. It's a command that would help us to work, to enjoy the good, to avoid the bad, so that we can live in this relational freedom that we were created for. It says this in Genesis 2. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and take care of it. Work to do. The Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden permission to enjoy everything that's good but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for when you eat from it you will certainly die a warning to keep away from anything that would cause them harm i have two kids Um, i don't want to raise kids who are lazy and do nothing (laughs) so i give them work to do things to achieve things to strive for I won't tell you which ones, but for one of them, that's really easy. For one of them, it's kind of (laughs) hard. I want them to enjoy this life. I want them to enjoy it to the fullest, so I invite them. I give them permission to enjoy the things that are good for them. But I also want them to live. And as much as I can, I want to help them to avoid suffering. So I do my best to protect them and keep them from the things that will hurt them. As this God is being revealed to us in the first two chapters of scripture, we are learning that he is not only this almighty creator that can speak things into existence, he is a loving father who just wants his children to thrive and live lives that flourish. You see, so far in Genesis one and two, we've already been given answers to some of those fundamental questions about life. Where are we? We're in God's purposeful creation. This is not an accident. Who's in charge? Me. Oh, wait. That, that's the next part of the story. Who's in charge? God. Who and what are we? We are His image bearers. And why are we here? To care for and bring order to creation and to reveal His character and his nature to the rest of the created world. Unfortunately, that brings us to the tragic question. What's the problem? Y'all, every human who has ever lived knows something is not right. Life was not meant to be a burden. It was meant to be free and full of all the good things God has made. So what happened? What's the problem? And to answer that question, we have to continue on to chapter three. That command he gave was simple. You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, this tree means many things and there's confusion and mystery to it. There's disagreements about what exactly it represents, but there are some things that we can know. The most important keeping us from eating this tree it is not unfair and it is not unreasonable when i was a kid we lived in this rental property in spring and we had a ton of land and i had one of those little yellow indian motorcycles apparently those are worth a lot of money now i don't know what happened to it (laughs) Um, anyway i had one of those little yellow motorcycles and i just had all the room i could ever want to ride and to play And I was allowed to ride and play anywhere in the yard. I had all the room I needed to do anything and everything my little mind could imagine. There was just one rule. Don't ride in the field across the street. We lived on a busy two-lane road. And I wasn't allowed to cross it and ride in the field across the street. Now, why would my parents come up with this rule that would stop me from enjoying playing in the field across the street? Were they trying to be unfair? Did they not want me to enjoy good things? Was it unreasonable for them to demand that I stay on this side of the road? Now look, you could argue, I was about 10 years old at the time, you could argue that letting a 10-year-old ride around the yard on that little motorcycle wasn't the safest thing in the world to begin with. But, you know, it was the 80s. Things were safer back then. (laughs) It was fine. But crossing that street was another thing. Right? What could have happened? It wasn't unfair for them to let me enjoy all the good things I was given in my own yard. It wasn't unreasonable to command me to follow a rule that would simply keep me out of real danger. It was for my own good, so that I could live. All I had to do was trust my parents, obey the command, and enjoy everything that had been given to me. And see, at the very least, this command about a tree, it is all about whether we will trust and obey. Whatever the tree was, a loving father commanded his children not to eat from it because he knew something they didn't its fruit would kill them one of my professors likes to say it this way he says Adam you and Eve you are glorious creatures and I made you with the capacity for all kinds of creativity but it only works if you remain who you are a creature dependent upon the creator you be you I'll be me You be the child, I'll be the father. You be the human, I'll be God. Because if you try to be your own God, the minute you do, your world will fall apart. Because you were not created to bear the burden of making this world work on its own. Of making this world work apart from the one who created it the day you try to go it alone, the day that you try to make this life work without me, that is when death becomes your future rather than the life that I created you for. It wasn't a temptation. It wasn't a test. It was loving guidance by a father who knows more than we do. So the question, the tension in this story is, will they trust God? Will they continue to be dependent on the life giver so that they could continue to live? Well, Genesis 3 tells us that this creature from within creation apparently pulls the woman aside, isolates her for a minute, creeps up beside her, and then begins to plant the seeds of doubt. Did God really say And with those words, the spiral from God's good world to the chaos and destruction that we see on the news every day, that's when it began. And the story tells us that she took and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband and he ate it. Would they trust him? Would they depend on him? The tragic answer is no. And those words take and eat those two words, take and eat, they will not appear in the Bible together again until that night that Jesus was betrayed. You see, God wasn't kidding. It wasn't a false threat. He really meant it when he said that if we eat from that tree, when we decide not to trust him, when we take upon ourselves the burden that we were never meant to bear, it'll cost us everything. And it has. This is how one author says it. He says, we send into a creature that was never supposed to exist. A self-centered creature. He says, self-dependence is not independence. It is the most wretched kind of dependence because we are now depending on someone ourselves who is incapable of providing everything we truly need in order to be fully human. He says, when the self becomes a God, we become prisoners to a God who cannot bear the weight of our worship. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about C.S. Lewis's the weight of glory. There is a weight to being an image bearer of God, a weight to that glory, and that is a weight that we were meant to carry. We were made to carry it. But there is a burden that comes with sin And it is a burden that we simply were not created to bear. This is the gravity of sin and death. And it is a burden that we were not meant to bear. The burden that comes with that tree of knowledge of good and evil, that burden is crushing us. It's overwhelming us. It's pressing us down each and every day. We see it on the news, in the office, at school, at the dinner table, in our homes. Those relationships we are made for, they're broken. Our relationship with creation is tarnished. Our relationships with each other, they often drive us crazy <laughs> from simple disputes between individuals to war between nations. We find ourselves at odds with ourselves, <laughs> depressed and anxious, overwhelmed, ashamed. And our relationship with God has been fundamentally broken. Because we chose death over life. And speaking into that story, in the midst of that brokenness, Jesus offers these words. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Let me take you back to the garden so that you can live as you were created to live. We see the hints of it in the garden story. Because humanity chose death over life, God explains this life is not gonna go as planned. But even in that warning, he plants the seeds for a solution that only he can provide. Death has entered into this world, but it will be defeated. And it will be overcome by that power that first called light out of the darkness. So this is part one of the gospel. We're going to talk more about part two of the story next week. But we can't end today in the darkness. There always has to be hope every time the gospel is proclaimed. So remember, remember our questions. Where are we? In God's purposeful creation. This is not an accident. Who's in charge? God. Who and what are we? We are his image bearers. Why are we here? To care for and bring order to creation and to reveal his character to the rest of the created world. What's the problem? We have become something other than the image bearers we were created to be because we chose to be our own gods. And in doing so, we chose death over life. But in Jesus, God has provided the answer to the final question that we've asked earlier. What's the solution? The tree that carried us down this road of chaos and suffering and death, that tree has been carried by Jesus himself. He bore the burden of our sin first by literally carrying that cross through town and then by hanging on it until he breathed his last breath. By bearing a burden that we cannot, Christ restores in us everything broken about us and returns us to the potential of a flourishing life that we were created to live. Even now and into eternity, Christ's work restores those relationships that we were made for, our relationship with creation, with one another, with ourselves, and with God. Those three elements of trust that are required to make this relationship work, they're now available to us once again. Faithful obedience to the job that we've been given to do, permission to enjoy the good things that were meant for our good, and a warning against the kind of things that will cause us harm. We call this the grandeur of God's grace, and this is the beautiful part of the story, and we're going to talk about it more next week. But this is the good news, the good gift that we have to offer to a lost and broken world. Will you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for this news. We are grateful to hear that you have made a way. So we pray that we could understand and internalize this good news. We could see the way that you have done this in our own lives so that we can not only proclaim this truth with our mouths, but that people would see it in our lives, that they would see the life of someone who's flourishing, who's living that garden life that we were meant to live, even as we walk the streets of our cities. Help us to be beacons, help us to be caretakers, help us to be a reflection of your goodness and your mercy and your grace each and every day. And we pray all this, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at www.fpc-kingwood.org. Our services are available on our website and find us on Instagram at fpc underscore kingwood. We'll see you next time.